Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back again for another edition of the Clay <laughs> Young Show here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app laughing because of some of the technical, t- technical mis- miscues over the last few minutes. But it's good to have you back here. Last week we talked about making a murderer and wine and we talk about depression this week and I can promise you those things are not related in any way or are they? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. Well, for those of you who have heard us talk about it and I have had dialogue with people on social media about making a murderer, since then there have been two documentaries, one by NBC on as we sit and record the open on Friday, last Friday, NBC's Dateline did a documentary on the show. And then the following day, Investigation Discovery Channel, which is one of the National Geographic channels, I guess, they had a documentary on the Stephen Avery saga as well. And so I was interested in both of them because I wanted to see if the prosecution would offer any other evidence to counterbalance what was in the Netflix version of what happened in Minnetowoc, Wisconsin. They spoke with Ken Kratz, who is just creepy. He comes across as slimy. This is just one person's observation. And the pieces of evidence that he offers, actually he says one thing that's kind of odd. Not kind of odd, that's very odd. Does it mean that Stephen Avery murdered Teresa Hallbeck? I don't know that I would go that far, but it certainly is a peek into his psyche when he tells a story about how Avery and a friend doused a cat in gasoline and threw it into a fire. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not something normal people do. Now, does that mean you leap from that to thinking that he killed this young woman? Yeah, probably not. He admitted to doing it and saying that it was just he was in a bad place in his head or something like that at the time. It's a little bit more than that. Beyond that, the pieces of evidence offered... A, he says that Stephen Avery called Teresa Hallbeck and lured her to his house. And that was evidence that he intended for her to be there, which led to her murder. So, you know, so says the prosecution in the Minnetowoc Sheriff's Department. Well, and they also said he's star 67, star 67, I think it is. His number blocked his number. And you could see, I didn't know this, but if you star 67 before you call someone, the phone records show that you did that. I never need to do that because if I don't want to talk to somebody, I just don't call them back. So I don't need to star 67. Uh, Anybody star 67, (laughs) whatever. So he did that. And then when he called, he called the auto trader office to get her to come out. And he said he was, he called specifically for her to lure her to his trailer so that he could do what he did. And he called her cell phone at about four 30, an hour or so nearly an hour or so after this whole thing allegedly was supposed to happen. That was the first thing. The second thing, uh, well, let me get to the, let me finish the other side of the first thing. His attorney says, well, there was a reason he was calling her. She was the only auto trader photographer that was working the area. She was the only person who worked that region. 
And he gave his sister-in-law's or her sister's contact information because the van that she was going to be taking photos of belonged to his sister. Right. It was her van. And then he said, well, he called afterwards, so he wanted to alibi himself. I don't necessarily buy that. I mean, which is it? Was he disguising his number because he didn't want anybody to know he was calling her? Or did he call her because he was alibying himself, flailing there? Then they said she told a co-worker, a couple of co-workers, that when she went to his house one time, he came to the front door wearing nothing but a towel, right? And the defense, uh, the prosecution used this as a sign to say that she was worried about him and was afraid for her life. Well, someone she worked with says she recalls the story that Teresa Halbach told. And when she said it, it was kind of like an ew moment, kind of one of those things that happen when you go visit, when you go to see people to take photographs of autom- uh, you know, automobiles, just kind of a weird thing. Right. The interesting thing about that was the judge did not allow that woman's testimony to be seen by the jury. So it's fascinating. But I say all of that to tell you this. Former city of Baton Rouge police chief Jeff LaDuff was not aware of the Making a Murderer documentary until last weekend. Nice hooked. He's seen them all. And next week... (laughs) As I rub my hands together in front of the microphone, he's going to be our guest on the show to give us his thoughts on making a murderer. So if you have questions, comments, anything you'd like the chief to speak to, email me, clay at podcast225.com on Facebook, or you can hit me up, as they say on Twitter, (laughs) at ClayYoungBR. Now, the ladies of the wellness studio will be here to talk about depression. Very serious subject, how to recognize it, how to deal with it and overcome it. Some things you know if someone you care about is dealing with depression. They talk extensively about all of that, and you will hear them discuss that next on The Clay Young Show. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Well, we are back with the ladies from the wellness studio, Katie and Mary Catherine. How are you guys? Great, great. Happy New Year to y'all. I know. Happy New Year. Well. How, how is it that this is the first time I've seen you guys in the new year? I don't I mean, know how What's that up with that? <laughs> I will sure. take the blame this time, but next time <laughs> it's got to be on y'all. So we are here, uh, and, and it is kind of an important subject. It's a sad subject, but in many ways, I think when daylight is kind of you know, shined on something like this, it gives the opportunity for hopefully a better outcome, and that is the subject of depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I lost a friend of mine who was a pretty well-known Louisiana politico, CB for Godston. His mm-hmm. wife, EJ, has done such a great job of mm-hmm. not shying away from talking about this. Mm-hmm. 
And I've known CB for 10 years and never knew he had a battle with, with uh, depression. A friend of mine who was even closer to him up until recently did not know this. And he found out because CB had taken a pretty bad turn in this process. Now, I think passing judgment, throwing out armchair psychology or psychiatry or whatever you want to mm-hmm, call it mm-hmm. is reckless. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I hope people would avoid that. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have yeah. you both on. You are both clinicians. You deal with this subject matter with clients mm-hmm. of yours at the wellness studio. And there is so much about depression that is still yet to be known by the American public. Mm -hmm. It is in many ways undiagnosed uh, in society. People hear it on the surface level, but the causes, Mm -hmm. symptoms, and treatment of it often go unknown by the Mm -hmm. general public. So I really want us to take our time with this because it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And we talk about bullying with kids the stories of kids who are committing suicide Mm -hmm. because they can't cope with the world around them. Mm -hmm. Spouses, husbands, wives who have families who secretly struggle Mm -hmm. with depression Mm -hmm. and who take, you know, what in their, in their mind, the only way out. And I know people call it cowardice and I don't, I don't really do that because I don't know what that pressure is like. Mm -hmm. And I can't, a coward to me, is someone who abuses a child, mm-hmm. okay? Terrorists are cowards, right? Uh, this thing, I don't know that you can throw this on someone. Sure. Part of me thinks that there is a bit of, of selfishness in it, but at the same time, not understanding what this person is dealing with between mm-hmm. their ears, mm-hmm. even that is a struggle for me to put on someone. Mm-hmm. So let's start at the beginning with depression and some of the causes of it and what it looks like. Sure. And actually, before I answer that, I just wanted to commend you, Clay, for having us on here, but also for being so bold to be able to have this discussion, especially on a public platform. I think that as a mental health professional that's been practicing for about six years now, obviously, Mary Catherine and I work on a daily basis with people that are struggling from depression. And a lot of the times, you know, the general public wants to kind of like squander and doesn't really know how to react to, Mm -hmm. especially like a public figure that Mm -hmm. that, um, commits suicide. But I think the answer is to talk about it. So his wife has been phenomenal in in the way that, and see, I didn't, I knew CB, but didn't know EJ that -hmm. well at all because I would see and talk with CB. Mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't live in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. They were moved up to the North shore after Katrina, which was, had to be devastating because they, you know, they got wiped out like so many people Mm -hmm. did. Right. And it just, I, I never really saw it. He, he was kind of, um, he wasn't really a, a morose personality, but very reserved. Mm-hmm. And even when he joked, he wasn't over the top when his, with his personality. Mm-hmm. And you just you just don't know. And I liked what you said about that, about not judging. I think that's one of the most important things is you, you can't judge whenever someone, when you're on the outside especially, you can't judge how a family does react to this. And I'm just happy that you are doing something about it with, with your platform by talking exactly. about it. Well, I've dealt with it in my family as well. And when it happens, it is, it's like a shock, like a flash mm-hmm. of light, because mm-hmm. sometimes before you know there is a fire, there, there's an explosion. Right. And it's like, right. it's all over. And it's like, wow. 
Right. And I think, and, and we'll get into this further in the conversation about the symptoms of depression, but depression is not something that is as tangible and concrete as, say, a medical disorder like cancer, that mm-hmm. you can see someone that's undergoing treatment. Sure. And so I think they're, the, the society's perception is a little different because they can't necessarily see mm-hmm. depression okay. and touch it and feel it. So okay. I think, um, like I said, we'll, we'll get into this and in the symptoms, but to have these conversations is what is going to educate people and enlighten people to be able to seek out credible resources that mm-hmm. they're exposed to, to learn more about depression. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that. When, well, let's start with, let's start with children mm-hmm. or would you prefer starting with adults? Um, I think maybe opening up with a general um, conversation about depression. Okay. I, I mm-hmm. feel bad we didn't answer your original question <laughs> that I want to go back to. I think okay, you, go, you, go ahead. You asked something about contributing factors or yeah. um, causes. Um, first, there, there are many different contributing factors to depression. Um, you, Whenever someone is, you know, there's suspicions of depression and you seek professional help, um, doctors and clinicians are looking at one area, which is genetics or biological factors. So you look for a family history. Um, you also look at environmental factors such as various stressors that the person might be going through. Did they just experience a trauma? Mm-hmm. Um, do they have a comorbid substance abuse issue? Um, which is another thing you'd want to rule out because they have something called substance induced depression. Okay. Um, so there's many. Di- I've never heard that phrase mm-hmm. before. I want to come back to that, but go ahead. Sure. Um, so there's there's many different factors that kind of inf- can influence, and it's it's almost kind of like shaking, ch- chasing a smoking gun at times, mm-hmm. like Mary Catherine said, because the way she described it, like there's no physical, like we can't really do much of a blood test when someone comes in our office that sure. says, hey, this is you have depression or this right. is bipolar and et cetera. So. Um, that's why it is so important that you see an actual trained mental health professional, a licensed mental health professional, in order to come up with an accurate diagnosis. How is something like this hereditary? Or or it's it's in a family history. Maybe mm-hmm. hereditary is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. how if it's in family history, how does something like that become a part of a f- familial link? That's a very good question. Um, you're looking at biology. Okay. So the biology of the brain, just like... Mary Catherine was saying you gave a, an example of cancer, which she can actually talk a lot about, um, but the comparisons between the two, because biologically that's something that's passed down. Our biology passes down and mm-hmm. it's no different between your chemicals in your brain, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it, does that kind of answer your question? Um, I, I mean, it, it does not to the degree that I guess I would understand it mm-hmm. having not yeah. been Got trained, that. but you're right. saying that depression uh, as a matter of fact can be passed down to children based upon the chemical makeup of a person's Mm -hmm. brain? Yes, but there's other different factors. So, for example, let's say um, you have a parent that had family history of depression. The child may be at higher risk because of that family history, but that doesn't mean – that is not a for sure – Sure. You know, sign that they are going to develop depression because they may have, you know, wonderful – um, protective factors that yeah. we call like good support system sure. um, and maybe more resilient than others. So it doesn't necessarily mean you will be depressed if you had a family history of it. It's just one of those risk factors that we look for when we're diagnosing mm-hmm. depression. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because with adults in general now, you know, I use, I, I'm in the advertising and marketing mm-hmm. business, and so I, I pay attention to social media mm-hmm. largely for that, to kind of see the trends of where mm-hmm. people are going. Mm-hmm. I skip through lots of what's on social media because, to be totally candid, it doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. 
people who are reaching for attention. So my observation of that has been when someone is falling over themselves to say, notice me, in my mind, that sometimes is a sign of insecurity and it's an overcompensation. Now, I could be wrong. And I sometimes I wonder that. about I that. I would agree with that. Yeah. So if it, but are those things a function of someone who has this void in their own mind about themselves and they're looking for someone else's compliments to fill it? Sure. And it could be validation. They're looking validation, for validation is the word. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. Does that tie to this at all? It can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I definitely mm-hmm. think it can. Um, it, it definitely is one of those things where it would just be one small piece to the puzzle. It wouldn't necessarily mean that that person's depressed. It could mean many things, but I, I would definitely not disagree with what you just said, which is that it's definitely a way that some seek validation. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have some underlying insecurity, which could just mean, Hey, they have low self-esteem going through a hard time. And depending on where they are developmentally, that may be appropriate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you look at adolescents and sure. children, well, kids are different. I'm talking right. mostly about right. it. Adults. Kids deserve mm-hmm. validation. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only do they, should they want it? I think they deserve it. I think that positive and corrective validation, but not in a destructive way. I right. think, Th- that is always one of my things, but I want to move. I don't want to move away from that. I want to stay on this because I know you wanted to chime in on that. Yeah, um, I think uh, when you when you think of depression, I think you have to also use a word that I, I like to describe depression as complexity. Like you said, is there a f- the family history is a piece of it? I think mm-hmm. the environmental. Um, the, the environmental history is a piece of it. If you have a child that was raised by, by a parent that was suffering from depression and what they're exposed to and the, the parenting styles that were then affected by that parent's depression, mm-hmm. how does that affect the child? Um, I think the social media piece of that can also go into environmental and their social dynamics and their mm-hmm. family dynamics. So in, as a mental health professional, when we are initially working with an individual that is expressing symptoms of depression, you have to have take a step back and have this bird's eye view of each facet of this person's well-being, whether it's their spiritual, mm-hmm. their occupational, their emotional, their family, and see what are contributing factors to okay. the, the symptoms of depression, and then you work on treating the depression. So I think it's very hard to say one precipitating event caused depression. Sure. So then... Uh, we'll let's go to with kids and then move to adults because Mm -hmm. so often as um as kids if we don't correct or eliminate habits as children they can become hindrances Mm -hmm. as adults Mm -hmm. and i think in environments i always think it's important to be bold enough to correct a child but compassionate enough to understand mm-hmm. like that. that they need correction mm-hmm. without criticism. That's a really well um, said. And so it's like I always balance a negative with a positive. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like this. You should not have done this. Mm-hmm. You are capable, though, of doing this because right. I know mm-hmm. you know something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Children take a pummeling, verbally speaking, and sometimes, you know, physically from adults, not every adult, but there are households where children don't get the, the nurturing, mm-hmm. the mental nurturing and sure. validation that they need. And as they get older and larger, mm-hmm. that manifests in all kinds of destructive behaviors, I would agree dis- with that. depression being one of them. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. So then for parents listening mm-hmm. who practice what some call old school parenting, 
which sometimes I think is mistaken and is used as an excuse to just do a piss poor job of being a parent, Mm -hmm. just one person's opinion. What would you say parents should avoid if they want to not accidentally Mm -hmm. create an environment where a child will Mm -hmm. will struggle with insecurity or depression? Mm I think one of the most important pieces to that, Clay, is allowing your children to have their own voice and ability to be able to talk to you about anything that they might be struggling with. And the way that you do do that is by empowering them to be able, and you just gave a perfect example. So yes, of course, they're going to need reprimanding mm-hmm. at times, but balancing out with something that's not critical or condescending, but can be very encouraging and warm. So that way they see you as somewhat of an alliance at the same time as someone who they need to obey and respect. Sure. Um, not a lot of this is easier said than done. And I know we're talking in kind of vague ways, but well, no, just, but you're right. But specifically speaking, following rules right. and, but so many of us are products mm-hmm. of the way that we were raised right. Mm-hmm. Right. when there wasn't as much nuance uh, required to parenting mm-hmm. because society was so different. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like if you're raising kids in the social media era, there is a lot of work that has to go right. into being a parent. Yeah, I think the the word that came to mind when you had asked the question was awareness. Okay, I think parents have to be able to be aware of what their child is saying, reading, thinking, video games they're playing with. Sure. Um, also, with children, there's there's a there's a built in team that that come along with raising a child that comes from the pediatrician that comes from the school counselor that mm-hmm. come from the teachers that are great resources to parents to say, look, this is, I noticed this about your child in school. Mm-hmm. It could be a small change in behavior, yeah. but for that child is, is out of character. Um, when you address the old school way of parenting and how to adapt that or apply that to raising children. Um, and I may have said this in our last, our last podcast, but I, I look at the generational gap as, as, thunder and what makes up thunder is low pressure meets high pressure and Mm -hmm. it makes this loud noise and Mm -hmm. so parents often say well this is how I raise and this is how it's going to be done but however we're in a a new generation and I'm not saying that you don't throw you throw out your old ways of parenting it's about like Katie said having that conversation with your child understanding Mm -hmm. where they're coming letting them have a voice exactly and then you work together as a family as opposed to this, um, you know, we can only do it because this is the mm-hmm. way that I was raised and this is right. the only way I know how. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, all right, I'm not sure how to navigate through these waters of the mm-hmm. social media, but let's try to figure this out as a family. And you know what I love about what you're saying? What I love about mental health professionals, if you, especially if you find a good one, is that we're not judgmental. So let's say you, you have, as a parent, you know, we know that that takes a lot of courage to be able to come in and mm-hmm. be told or give recommendations on how they should make changes in their house. Um, so whenever we're working with parents, it's not necessarily about degrading them for using an old school parenting oh, no, method. No, not but at all. To, um, but I like to say that because yeah. I think sometimes sure. that's a fear factor for well, yeah. yes. people Well, they that feel put upon help. all the time mm-hmm. and criticized. I, right. I mean, there's a difference between either choosing not to make a decision Mm -hmm. or ignoring your children. Mm -hmm. That's different than trying to do it the best way you know how Mm -hmm. based upon the knowledge you have. And I don't think any of us can criticize people Mm -hmm. for doing what they know. Right. But, but again, you're in there trying as opposed to just not caring at all. Right. And I think that what you're saying is right. We're not criticizing parents, but let's talk about the environment Mm -hmm. either directly or indirectly that facilitate low self-esteem, 
uh, depressive personality types, all these things in children from a young age. Are there things that parents maybe are doing on purpose or maybe some things that they're doing and not even realize as you're contributing to your child, not so believing really in himself question. or herself. Yeah. One that sticks to mind for me, I was actually reading this in a, um, a, a journal of mental health counseling, which is the 2015 um, year. So and it was talking about the ties of, of very dominant parenting practices and how that is tied to not just depression, but other mental health concerns mm-hmm. in children. And the best way I could kind of describe it is whenever you are, telling someone what to do or demanding in a very dominant way the what equals that is is disempowerment so it disempowers the Hmm. other person and they left feeling they're typically can be left feeling like they don't have the ability within themselves to do anything because they're kind of being forcefully or dominant you know being parented in Mm -hmm. a dominant way when we should be doing the exact opposite which is to empower someone to Mm -hmm. help them find ways from within so instead of saying you should not do this it's what do you think would be the best way to do mm-hmm. this and kind of making it more of a collaboration mm-hmm. especially with adolescents you no know, younger kids sure. it's a little mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. um yeah but kind of with what mary Catherine was saying mm-hmm. yeah and i think it can be on a spectrum like where you have this very domineering parenting style and then you have this very un- unplugged parenting <laughs> style and you know i think that if you're you have to look at it on a spectrum i don't think there's a, a right way or a wrong way yeah but um you know, kind of to go back to social media and you're asking, you know, parents that constantly are on their phones or doing their own social media, but then kind of looking at their child saying, well, don't do that or, you know, get off the phone. Oh, yeah, and that's... It's, so it's it's about trying to find the... Ba- be, again, back to the awareness. You know, yeah. what are you doing that's modeling behavior to your child that yeah. you, but you don't want your child to do it? So I think being able to really look at that and be very honest with the ways that you're parenting and what, again, in this collaborative way with your child, what is it that you need from me? How can I help you achieve whatever your goals are? That's a great place to start. They can be hard to understand anyway in the new era, especially teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, and listening is so important because you kind of have to just to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But what are some indicators of, signs of depression in children that, that's, really a, good th- that's a good question yeah. i would say behavior number one when you see a major shift in their behavior for instance um, for instance if you have a child that is w- easily got along with other children in the classroom participated with the teacher um, engaged in recess activities all of a sudden you see a much more withdrawn child a child mm-hmm. that is um you know not making as much eye contact with the teacher or just not um you know, just not speaking up much at all, mm-hmm. uh, I think is a, is a number one indicator because they're, they're young. So they're not necessarily have the, the words and the vocabulary to express themselves sure. just yet. So it often comes, I find from nonverbals. Yes, okay. I would definitely agree with that. Um, in addition to that, I would say any significant changes in appetite. So maybe they're eating less or eating a lot more. Um, that's a, a big symptom of mm-hmm. depression. And then also with sleeping. So if you notice mm-hmm. any big changes in their sleeping, maybe they're not sleeping at all or yeah. they're kind of sleeping every day, all day, not getting out of bed. So that hmm. kind of goes along with what she was mm-hmm. saying with being more withdrawn. Okay. Um, maybe also you'll hear it in the way that they speak. Maybe it's not directly saying I'm depressed, but it might be saying things such as, um, I'm never going to, mm-hmm. 
be able to do yeah. this or and so talking in very negative ways. I always wanted ways. to correct that when I hear that. It's like mm-hmm. don't yeah. don't let yourself hear yourself saying mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Right. The negative language is a yeah. big one. And right. that and we'll we'll transition to adults in just a moment, but mm-hmm. one of the other things that I, I find problematic with uh, with kids when as it relates to the way sometimes adults can approach them is name calling mm-hmm. or uh, nitpicky criticism. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I children, I think at a certain age, and this is just, I'm not a clinician. I'm not someone trained in sure. this, but you know, I have kids. And so at a certain age, you can tell that they're trying to develop their own confidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, the way you criticize a child can sometimes be construed on their behalf as demeaning to them. Mm -hmm. And whether it's intended or not, I think you have to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. And culturally speaking, I remember, you know, teachers and Mm -hmm. people who would say some of the most egregious things. Mm -hmm. And just, and, and when you look back on it now, you're thinking, there's no thinking? reason they should have been saying these things. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So what about that? Well, it's funny that you say that. Uh, recently, I watched the movie The Learning Tree, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was a it's a movie that was created in the 70s and it depicted an a African-American male youth growing up in around the 20s. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a scene in the movie where his teacher, who was, was white, mm-hmm. and told him, because um, he was preparing... Uh, to go to college sure. and she was discrediting him saying that that's not a place for him to be. And mm-hmm. I, I understand that's, that's a generational and also a more of a discussion of racism, but also what it did to him as a, as, as a young male trying to achieve goals and being told that they are not worthy enough to, to mm-hmm. kind of proceed forward in life. And so the principal um, and he had this really good moment of talking about just that it's about what you're being told um, in a negative way, you don't have to own it and believe it. And if you believe in yourself and, and so it was just, when you spoke of that, it just kind of reminded me of, mm-hmm. of, um, how powerful I think, um, there are certain resources out there that can help children, yeah. um, that you don't have to, as a parent, you don't always have to hold the keys to every right answer that if you just seek outside of whether it's a school counselor or a teacher, that there's tools and resources to help with you know, explain this to your child. And I think Mary Catherine mentioned this earlier, what she mentioned about awareness, I think applies to this as well is, um, being aware of how much of what you do and say affects the sure. children that you're around when you're kind of, you know, as teachers or serving a role as um, anybody working with the children, you yeah. also, you're being looked at. You're on yeah. stage, so yeah. to speak, pretty much all the time. Um, so having that awareness is really, really key. Um, but the other thing is, I think this is why I think it's really important that schools start welcoming and and using mental health professionals to their advantage by yeah. allowing them to come in and not just work with the children, but also work with faculty. Um, Mary because Catherine some of them I, may bring issues to the table. Right. And yeah. well, you kind of just gave a really good example. Yeah. Um, and you know, Mary Catherine and I recently actually went and talked to a local school and it wasn't to talk to the kids. It was to talk to the faculty mm-hmm. and we educated them about grief and how to recognize grief in a child, um, especially unhealthy grief, mm-hmm. um, especially after a significant loss and what teachers can do. These are all things that mental health professionals are able to do. We can reach out and work with our community and we should be stepping out of the office yeah. instead of just yeah. working with mm-hmm. clients. So I think that that's a huge resource. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny Sometimes I think for kids, and I can speak for me personally, it's the the intention and the relationship you have with the adult. Mm-hmm. For instance, 
Uh, I can remember teachers who shouldn't have been within 200 miles of classrooms. Uh, they just they just said and did things that were just you shouldn't have been teaching. Mm-hmm. But I played sports and I can remember a couple of coaches who would dress you down from one side, I mean, chew you out, call you every name in the book. It never bothered you because they were they were trying to get the best out of you. Because almost at every instance in the end, there was a conversation that went something along the lines of, I know you can do this. I know you're better than this. Mm-hmm. You know, pull your head out of wherever. Mm-hmm. And you, you felt like it cared, but yeah. you felt like the, the, there was a, there was a method to it. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it didn't just leave you demeaned in front of all of your peers. It was mm-hmm. always, mm-hmm. Hey son, you could do better. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gave you a strength because you never felt like you're being shown up. Right. You're being called out because you're expected to do something and you're capable. Yeah. There is a right. difference. Right. Big difference. Now, I wouldn't recommend that nowadays, some of what right. coaches could say back then. But again, I never felt like I was right. being mm-hmm. crushed. You just mm-hmm. felt like, yeah. hey, you know what? He's right. I can do better right. than I this. I think your experience has value, though. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's, you know, but but again, it comes, it, it's tied to what you think that person thinks about you or feels about you when they're giving you the correction. Right. It's right. not intended to demean you. It's intended to build you up. That's a good point. And then I think they knew the kid that they could, they knew which kids that they could say certain things to mm-hmm. uh, because there were times that you wouldn't see them do that with certain kids because mm-hmm. you just didn't think you could tell that eh, you better not do that with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't know, just an example of how an adult has to be in tune to what a kid needs. But the end result is, do you care about them or are you trying to take out whatever you're dealing with in your life on them? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I'm really glad that you brought that up because whenever you started talking about it all depends on to the the student or the child, the way they're receiving information. There are so many different variables and complexities related to this. So if someone is, let's say, struggling with depression, the lens that they see through is really just negative content. And so you could be um, a coach that's doing the best they can to be encouraging, but also gives them like a little push. But that person that's dealing with depression may be receiving mm-hmm. it as negative and they process it negative. Just so piling on to what they already think about themselves. Sure. Right. Um, yeah. So it's important to, I think, mention locus of control in mm-hmm. this conversation mm-hmm. because it all depends on, it's really imp- important that people have an internal locus of control and realize that they don't have to be controlled by all the externals around them. Right. It's more about what you can do as an, in, in, as an individual and what power you have mm-hmm. to be able to get help or as a teacher to not speak in demeaning ways to your sure. students. Sure. So, right. And I think also it, you're talking about expectations, whether what, what that teacher's expectation for that child is the coach or mm-hmm. a parent's expectation for their child is. And, it depends how that's communicated back to, again, talking with your child, because if your expectation is for your child to go to college or to mm-hmm. work in a certain career you know, field, how does your child necessarily know that? You might say, okay, in the back of my mind, I know I want to talk to them about med school, mm-hmm. but you know, they're nine now and, and doing homework is so important. And what am I saying that's really conveying because I have this expectation of you mm-hmm. and then being realistic about that expectation and, and, and then learning your child. You talked about growing confidence, but I think it's also growing identity yeah. and, and, and understanding what it is that your child, um, what the child's expectations are. Mm-hmm. They're going to make mistakes. Oh, yeah. We all made mistakes. Sure. They're going to do dumb things because we all did. A function of 
dumb actions is basically ignorance or negligence. Mm -hmm. And when it's kids, it's mostly ignorance. Mm -hmm. And my attitude was, and I said this, perfection doesn't exist. Work as hard as you can. Do the best you can. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be perfect. Just try to be the best you. Mm -hmm. Nobody's perfect. Right. Well said. Yeah. And the beauty sometimes is in the imperfections. Absolutely. Because nothing is perfect. Sometimes the nuance of something makes it special. I love that. And I think for kids, you know, this perfect face, this perfect body, this perfect whatever, it's Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't exist. Quit chasing perfection. Right. Just try to be the best you. And I think being content with trying as hard as you can and knowing that you, as I like to say, dumped your bucket Mm -hmm. is better than competing with a level that just doesn't exist. And it generally leaves you feeling deflated because you didn't reach perfection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets it right all the time. Which brings me to our last discussion when we talked about the effects of that ideal beauty image that's Mm -hmm. in the media right now and how that affects young girls. They're running after this perfect image that they will never be able to achieve because they're photoshopped, they're, you know, and it's not And it's not even real. What they're seeing isn't even real. Right, right. You see this thing with celebrities now, specifically uh, female celebrities who are taking pictures without makeup. I love that. And I think, yeah, I think it's, you know what, hey, let me show you what I really look like before I'm putting makeup on or everything. And it's like, so you can be okay being you. Right. The Dove Beauty campaign does really That's the one. And it's like, you know, it's, for me, I have always said beauty is at a level far inside of the skin mm-hmm. and the facial expression. Yeah. Beauty is in the way you treat people. Mm-hmm. Right. I definitely agree with that. The way people feel when they leave you. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. You could be a runway model and just be an awful person. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> because you try to crush everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think getting people to, you know, sometimes telling someone good morning saying thank you. Mm-hmm. Those things show more character nowadays mm-hmm. to me than anything else. I would agree Letting someone into traffic and they wave and acknowledge you, that to me is a sign mm-hmm. of, I don't think, you know, if you don't respect others, that says something about the way you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about adults now. In the case of, say, my friend here who was 70 years old, he was not a kid mm-hmm. and who struggled with this for so many years of mm-hmm. his life. And this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Why are we seeing a growing number of these stories? Is it because we're reporting it more or is it because the problem is now worse? I think it could be a many, you know, it, it could include both of those yeah, reasons that you just named. Um, I think it's very, very complicated issue. I definitely think that there's more awareness now and hopefully less of a stigma uh, surrounding mental health. So maybe more and more people are talking about it, which is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, going back to your friend, while we obviously can't speak directly to his condition, I think it's really important that we are talking about Mm -hmm. it and talking about depression or Mm -hmm. mental health in general. Um, Because, you know, sometimes we often equate suicide with depression, Mm -hmm. but it's not one and the same. Right. Um, People don't have to be depressed to commit suicide and people that commit suicide aren't always depressed. True. So uh, I know of some examples that had nothing to do with depression. Right. So yeah. again, it, it makes it even more important for you know someone who is is dealing with depression, or more specifically, if you're dealing with thoughts of suicide, mm-hmm. to reach out to a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Um, don't wait. Reach out to them and let them help you be able to come up with the best form of treatment for you. Um, Cause it may not be depression. Like I was saying, it could be a mood disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be many other 
mm-hmm. other things going on. So, um, what do you do though? Because the thing that you hear the most, the thing that you read the most, in in the case of Robin Williams, we were, we mm-hmm, were talking mm-hmm. about that before uh, we started doing the show, and other celebrities and people that you've heard about, is th- you often hear the word trapped or the word prison that mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. and and I don't, I can't understand the 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 context in which they mean that. I guess from a distance you feel like they feel like they're going through something they can't get right. out of, but I. I Make make this make sense to those of us on the outside of it when someone says that they felt trapped and suicide was a way of ending the pain or getting mm-hmm. out right. of it. Um, and and just to kind of reiterate, reiterate something that Katie had said, we can't speak to each of these people sure, sure. You know, individually because we, we don't know their condition. Right, but right. In, in a general sense, um, and, and like you said with your friend who was 70, like mm-hmm. how come you know this isn't a child? Um, people that didn't necessarily have the resources or the opportunity to seek out mental help. Um, mental health assistance develop their own form of, of coping skill or coping mm. mechanism that um, help them kind of get through their every day. Um, and maybe they didn't have that support from family or friends or, like Katie said, a mental health professional to effectively treat their depression. And so they may get to a point where they, they've used so much energy to kind of hold up this defensive wall around themselves. Without the right tools, that becomes very heavy. Yeah. And I, that's a really good way to put it. And um, this is something else I would definitely want people to know is that the field of mental health is somewhat subjective. So what I mean by that is if you go see a counselor, if you haven't been trained in mental health or in counseling, it's hard for you to know always if what you're getting is the best counseling. Sure. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that the professional you're talking to is using evidence-based practice mm-hmm. to be able to work with you. So for instance, um, if you do have or do receive a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, it wouldn't hurt to get a second opinion. Which is or, what? When you bipolar bipolar disorder, people hear that a lot, you know, clinical terms mm-hmm. and they have the armchair explanation that you may read in a newspaper article sure. about someone who may have been suffering from severe bipolar uh, depression or whatever. What is that? So a mood disorder is when you're there's a imbalance of someone's mood. And so they have periods of very, very highs, mm-hmm. which is extreme euphoria or what we call manic. Mm-hmm. But then they always come down. So then you have periods of, of deep, deep lows or depression. Mm-hmm. And the mood is imbalanced and not stable and can't be controlled by the person. And mm-hmm. so the best form of treatment for that is a mood stabilizer or medication to help balance the actual mood. Hmm. And, that's, and that's a chemical thing, a brain science thing. Yes, but there is. I'm sorry if my called... question is crude. No, 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 no. <laughs> not at all. Um, I think it's going to be really nice to, to your viewers because they can yeah. relate to this yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it could be what we call substance-induced mood disorder. So there are drugs. which means what you brought that up earlier. Thank yeah. you sure. for coming yeah. back to that. What what is what does um, that mean? So substance-induced mental health condition is when your brain basically mimics a mental health disorder because of a substance you took. So there have, huh. um, like for example, cocaine. Um, can show signs of mania uh, or manic. It can make someone in a manic state where they go and do all Mm -hmm. kinds of things such as spend a lot of money or um, put themselves in very risky or dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, alcohol, as we know it, is a depressant. So there's, and especially when we're we're doing it in extremes, and Mm -hmm. that's why it's called substance-induced. So there's also that. 
nothing great about a hangover. I don't recommend them. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Um, So for, you know, you were talking earlier and you both referenced the things that people deal with. And, you know, I made a decision years ago to just without any delay, cut people out of my life personally who left me feeling worse than I did before I had a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can help someone, fine. But um, and maybe that's maybe that's not the best way to go about helping someone who has an issue. But I'm only I'm just being honest with you mm-hmm. that um, people who seem to take delight in bringing others down. I don't mm-hmm. know what what how you would describe that personality or, or people who are always interested in just being critical of others when you're around them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't need that. I yeah. only get 24 hours in this day and I kind of like to be smiling mm-hmm. more than pissed off. Yeah. I can't say I blame you. All and, yeah. right. <laughs> and so what, what advice would you give people uh, to protect their environment? Oh, that's a good question. It's a really good question. Yeah. I think, I think one of the main things is that when you, when you notice that you have someone in your life that fits that description that you can't change them. Right. Um, they, you can only change the way you allow them to affect you. Absolutely. So I think that's a big one because a lot of people yeah. want to, especially if it's a, it's a, a dear friend. you want to help yeah, people. You want to help I people. fall into that category, but sometimes you go uh, miles farther than you should have gone and mm-hmm. you, you'll, you, mm-hmm. you know, they'll pull you down and before you know it, you'll lose a friendship that you might be able to keep a little bit of yeah. just right. by having distance. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And I, I definitely think it again goes back to knowing what you have control over. You don't have to. Which is not much in life. It's not, but I think you gave a really good example. You don't have to continue to associate with people that bring you down. And you don't have to tear them down. You don't have to beat them up. You just tap out. Right. That's why God made caller ID or whoever Mm -hmm. made caller ID. especially important for kids, I think, too. Yeah. Especially, you know, going into adulthood, maybe. It's Carla knocking over there. She knocks with a purpose. (laughs) Go ahead. You were were saying. Um, But basically... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go ahead you know I think at that age we it's important that you look especially when you're in your teenage years look at the people that you're associated with right that who am I phase of life you have control to associate with on who you associate with you mm-hmm. don't have to be constantly um around the negative right influence. so I I want to ask and and because I, I want to come back to this because of um getting through the, you know, the whole carnival season and everything going on, but there's something there, another subject matter I'll get to, but first let's talk about expectations, personal expectations. Like I know I'm pretty hard on myself and I readily admit it, but sometimes I think as a society, and you mentioned it earlier, we can talk about personal Mm -hmm. expectations based upon the way people look trying to have the perfect image, Mm -hmm. but also resume Mm -hmm. expectations based upon what society deems as successful. To me, success is getting up every day and not hating what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to someone who is so career oriented or borderline workaholic and uh, the dangers of falling into those categories? Um, I think what comes to mind when you said that is what counselors practice off of, which is our wellness model. Okay. So if you imagine like a wheel, there's different facets of your life. You have your social and then you have family and then you have individual. 
um, and then career or school, and then also spiritual. And if you you think about it like a wheel that's turning, if one of those parts of your wheel have more weight on them, Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. being filled Putting, having too much energy pushed mm-hmm. into them, then your wheel won't turn as mm-hmm. well. It doesn't function as well. So it's important Good. to have a overall what we call life balance, which of course is, is easier said than done. Um, but I definitely think that just even when you feel yourself spending, you know, putting too much energy towards one area, just giving the other areas a little of attention. Maybe it's like going out with a friend or, and I think a a good way to look at this too, is think about what just happened. And you started off, you know, our conversation, happy new year, new year, people are making resolutions. And oftentimes as Katie, you know, just explained, they might pick to work on an area in their life and one of those pieces of that pie. But the other pieces are also out of sync. So therefore it's like, okay, I'm going to choose to, um, you know, uh, find a job that makes me happier, but yet right. you have all these other facets of your wellness that are out of sync as well. And so when we can't find the job or there's, there's roadblocks in the way and we don't achieve our goal, therefore we feel, um, we may feel defeated or we may mm-hmm. feel very hard on ourselves. And so, um, that's, I think what happens with new year's resolutions is they kind of all go out the window, but I think the best resolution you can make for yourself is to take a step back and look at, your, your wellness in all these different ways, which again, I can't say enough that I think a mental health professional can help you attain and look at, um, is a, is a great way to, to try and to find that balance. In life. And, and in mm-hmm. business, you know, I, I, I just spoke to a group of young men a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I, I said to them that having goals without a plan is really a guaranteed way <laughs> to have self doubt. Mm hmm. You, you, you kind of need plans if you're going to have a goal mm-hmm. and then set goals that are achievable. Yeah. If, you know, if you're struggling to pay your mortgage, don't say my goal this year is to become a millionaire. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I just... Uh, so they need to be realistic yeah, too. Yeah, right. I, I think it, if you're at one and you want to get to 10, I really yeah. think you should strive for 10, but just don't forget the numbers in, in between. between. Sure. <laughs> and so it's like setting realistic goals. Mm-hmm. And listen, I was a victim of like having high goals and mm-hmm. just wanting to- Weren't we all? Oh my right. God. Uh, and I then, bought Powerball too. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you buy one recently? I came this close. I said, I've the, never done it, but $1.3 billion? billion dollars. Right. You know, it's like, but do I really want to develop all those new relatives? I don't right. know. If, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know. Talk about priority setting after that, so, right? So just, you know, finally here, because this is a bigger conversation than just one show. Yeah. If you had to give advice to someone who is either uh, suspecting of, maybe they might be dealing with depression Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or someone that they care about, whether Mm -hmm. it be an adult or a child who Mm -hmm. may be dealing with it. Just kind of speak to them some things that they should look for within themselves or others and then a way to get help. I would say... Which I can answer that. Call the wellness studio, but go ahead. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The biggest thing that I would want people to remember is that if you find yourself in a place where you don't know what the solution is and you don't see a way out, then the solution is to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And it's just four or five words that you need to remember. And it's going to that person you trust and just saying, hey, I need help. That opens the door for a conversation that will lead you to finding the solutions that you need and to, to, to get help. Mm-hmm. So just remembering that, um, you know, when you do find yourself feeling trapped, quit tr- trying to figure it out yourself when it's okay. And the best thing you could do is to ask for help. Right. And I think one of the 
the biggest, you know, side effects of feeling depressed is feeling isolated and feeling so alone and that so many people have whatever, whatever the circumstances in their lives have brought them to that same place of feeling pain. It might not be the same type of pain, but the, the level of pain is still that palpable that, um, asking for help is, is something that is very, it's, it's very normal to ask for help. It's, it's okay to ask for help Mm -hmm. that, um, you're not alone in this by any means. So mm-hmm. I think... And I always tell the, the kids that I'm working with, yeah. I'm like, think about this like a math equation. If you don't understand the math equation in front of you, what do you do? And they always say, well, ask my math teacher. Right. <laughs> okay, so if you can't solve the problem, right. ask for help. Right. Yeah, I'd be nervous when you started down a math road there. But, that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. That's actually mm-hmm. what, what... It helps them understand it. Uh, listen, you can't always feel great. Right. But you should always be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think people are worthy of being okay. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that for kids especially, they should love who they are and mm-hmm. be willing to want to be the best person that they can be. Mm-hmm. And it's important. And for people who are dealing with depression, you're not alone. Not alone. By any yep, means. And I definitely agree. And like you said, if you're in this, if you're like, well, you know what? If you're thinking to yourself, like, I felt okay two years ago. Yeah. And I don't know between two years ago and today sure. how I got to this place. But if I can just kind of rewind the clock and start behaving the way I was, I mean, that everybody's trying to do that, get back to this old mm-hmm. sense of themselves. And, and, but the thing is, is during that time, you've had so many life experiences, some, some small, some probably large, that has you kind of grieving that yeah. person that you mm-hmm. once were. I think that, um, being able to just be aware again and, and accept that there's been a lot of different elements to your life that's occurred over the, maybe it's two weeks, maybe mm-hmm. it's two years, but that's okay. And that asking for help is, mm-hmm. don't is, try to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. How can people reach the wellness studio? Um, so our direct phone line is two two five four four eight three three five nine. One more time. That's two two five. Four four eight three three five nine, and then we also have a website mm-hmm. which is www.surprisinglywell.com. Love it. These ladies are fantastic. Yeah. Clay, oh, they thank are. you. No. I have got to thank Clay again for having <laughs> yes. us, and I'm very very sorry about your friend. And we're just yeah. very happy to be here and that you're he, talking about. He this. was he was equally tough on people. He wasn't a partisan. He just loved Louisiana, and it was it was. I just remembered seeing that and going, what. And I have no judgment. Yeah. Um, Thanks I for talking about yeah. it. And just quickly here, last thing in, in 90 seconds, the, the stereotype of it being a sign of weakness is something people say, oh, they were weak. They're weak. What do you say to that? I would say that to be able to deal with a mental health condition, something as heavy as depression takes the most amount of courage, I think, than, it, I mean, the, what they have to go through on a daily basis. Um, so I definitely wouldn't necessarily think of it as a, a sign of weakness. I think right. it's just a very sad, yeah. and, um, very wrong thing to do, obviously. Um, but I certainly wouldn't say it's weak. I would say it's very, very, very sad and that we should be, instead of judging, we should be mm-hmm. doing things that we can in our power to help and support so that it doesn't continue to happen. Exactly. I mean, why would you say something like that if you really care about a person? You know, it's just kind of 
How does that? So, how think, does that say anything good about what you really right, thought of them? Right. It, I agree with you on that, yeah. and I think what comes to mind to me is is ignorance, Maybe ignorance, not, ignorance and not fear, or understanding. Yeah. not understanding, and so it's easier to just give this some label to it so they can kind of wrap their own minds mm-hmm. around it. The way EJ handled this with the letter mm-hmm. and talking about it, I thought paid such respect to his life yeah. and was such a reflection mm-hmm. of how much she loved him. Exactly. Yeah. So authentic. Courageous. I know. And Very so courageous. He'll be, he will be missed. And again, if, if people want to reach you, the number again is? Sure. 225-448-3359. And the website is? Surprisinglywell.com. That's surprisinglywell.com. The Wellness Studio. We'll have him back in a few weeks. Thank you, ladies. Thank Thank you. you. Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Play Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. Now is the time to start thinking about prepping your lawn and getting ready when this cold weather finally gets out of here, John. Let's talk about termites. Oh, yeah. With the warmer weather moving in, if you're seeing little winged critters flying around your house, that's usually an indication that you've got a subterranean infestation somewhere. So the thing you want to do is to, one, look around the bottom of the slab to see if you find the tunnels. If you find the tunnels, then you need to come see us because we carry the exact same products that the professionals use. And applying those products in a trench will generally give you protection for up to 12 to 14 years. Now's the time to start thinking about it. How can they find you? Well, our Metairie store is located at 3512 Severne Avenue next to the Pepper Mill in Covington. We're located at 1417 North Causeway. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams. On uh, the West Bank, we're on the Palco just before the Harvey Bridge and in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Treat your home and lawn with the products available at Pest Stop. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. I think we can both agree that Mary Catherine and Katie are fantastic people. Oh my, yes, definitely. They are focused on helping people, and the Wellness Studio is definitely a resource uh, in the Capital City region and on the North Shore. Yeah, Covington, I think. Yeah, so definitely if you don't know about these ladies, they gave you the contact information, please contact them. And this, this interview, this discussion, this back and forth was just that a discussion. Uh, They are both licensed clinicians and they deal with this subject and many others with their clients. And I think they're great at what they do. But what's even more apparent with them is how sincere they are. Right. They're incredibly sincere. So uh, from those ladies to, again, a preview of next week's show, Jeff LaDuff will be here to talk about making a murderer. When are you going to watch a documentary? What are you, you're slacking. You've not watched it yet. You've got to get I'm on not, top of that. What's wrong with you? My best friend was in town. Oh, that's right. Helly was in town. <laughs> Helena. So if you're listening to this, Helly, you are very, very nice. She's a nice young lady, and she's very low maintenance. Right. Well, I mean, she's my best friend, so she has to be. <laughs> 
Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, she was in town, so you need to do some research. So get on top of that. I'll watch it tonight. And no, 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 no. You don't want to watch it before you go to bed. It's and I tell people that and they think, well, was it scary? No, it's not scary at all. It's going to piss you off. <laughs> You're going to be so annoyed and agitated by it that it could make you lose sleep, or at least that's no. that's what happened with me a few times. No, I think I'll sleep like a baby. You think so? Either oh, way, I know so. Okay, well there you go. Then she's a Viking. I'm not. So I just sleep. love my sleep. Yeah, there you go. All right, former police chief Jeff Leduff will be here next week, not only to talk about making a murderer, but his name has been thrown out there as a possible candidate for mayor in the city of Baton Rouge, and we'll get right down to the nitty-gritty, as they say. Hmm. Next week on The Clay Young Show, on iTunes, on the Talk 107.3 mobile app, and of course, podcast225.com. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.